Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land on which the House of Sin and Studio stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. You're listening to Artsmin on Sin Nation. That was Soccer Mummy Still Clean. Here with Dana, myself, Andrew, and another guest, uh, an interview with Danny Aziak, who is the uh, star of the new show that is playing uh, at the Lithuanian Club in Nicholson Street. It is called Nico, a song they never play on the radio. Uh, Danielle, thanks so much for joining us. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. So tell us about the show, Songs They Never Play on the Radio. What are some songs they never play on the radio? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're the songs that Nico composed in um, her, I think, like the 70s and 80s after mm. her Velvet Underground times. Yeah. Um, she went solo. She broke away from the brand, uh, the band, sorry, and the brand, I should say, <laughs> um, and just went out on her own composing stuff with John Cale, some really kind of eccentric post-avant-garde, uh, um, really quirky music. And a lot of those songs never made it on the radio. So yeah. hence the title, Songs They Never Played on the Radio. Yeah. Well, I know it's an ignorant question, but why were they never played on the radio? Was it out of uh, stylistic decisions or, uh, or, or censorship? Uh, look, I think um, they are... For a particular ear. Yes. I mean, it's not something that you can listen to on commercial radio. It's not something that I think in the 80s and 90s that, yeah, the commercial radio stations wanted to be playing. I mean, um, it's it, it, they're quite dark. They're quite gothic. Yes. Um, and she's got a voice that is very reminiscent of German leader. So we're looking at even mm. cabaret singers like Marlene Dietrich and Zara Leander, um, if we look at those voices, they're really low and really dark, mm. and there's, there's, you can't listen to Nico stuff all the time. Mm. Uh, it's like it's like listening to heavy metal or you know, like yes. really kind of grim reaper stuff. Um, in saying that, there are some really beautiful songs and really beautiful arrangements, and so the songs that we've taken are ones that have been arranged. Actually, this. This show will be the world premiere of commissioned arrangements for a 10-piece orchestra, mm. that being Forest Collective. So we've taken some very um, uh, interesting sounds, say like the harmonium that Nico played, or we've taken it and put it with a piano accordion. You'd hear uh, at the bass, which is played by a double bass, so the more traditional instruments. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about the structure of this show? Is it going to be a cabaret style? Is there a sense of storytelling amongst the songs? A little bit of both. I guess my the reasons why I wanted to do this was because Nico always wanted to be recognised as a composer. And I think because she was a woman, she wasn't ever glorified as a composer. She was really glorified for... Uh, her tragedy, her affairs, her face and her modelling career, whereas the tragic male rock and roll artists, we know them for their for their composing. We don't know them for the way that they died. And mm-hmm. um, I think that I really wanted... Her music tells so much about who she is, so therefore I felt it really unnecessary to... I, and I hate biopics or cabarets mm-hmm. that tell a story, a linear story from like this is when she was born to this is when she was growing up and this is what happened in her life because her songs just tell so much of that 
And um, it, it comes down to programming. And she's also a very mysterious character on stage. She doesn't say very much. And if she does, it's like this scatterbrain kind of uh, stream of consciousness. Mm. So I try to capture in the little bits that I speak a little bit of her character, but I've really let the music do the talking in the show. Fantastic. It's interesting you say that you're not a, a big fan of biopics because that's one thing that attracts me to this, this show is that it isn't a biopic, it really is an ensemble. Uh, and did you sort of go about quite ruthlessly picking events from Nico's life to include in the show and then put them to songs or did the songs come first? Songs came first. Yeah. Absolutely. Lovely. Uh, and it was such a range as well. I mean, the, uh, the, the everything, like you say, from electro to, to really quite heavy punk, it is very rich music. Uh, and yet you, you mentioned, you touched a bit before on, on the arrangement, but how exactly did you go ordering the songs, I suppose, seeing as it isn't just chronological? That, was there a certain pattern that you wanted to achieve? Is there something you wanted the audience to get specifically? Yeah, so I think... If I, if I go back, I mean, this is a show that's been developing over four years when my friend Evan Lawson, who is the conductor and the composer of, of Forest Collective, um, he came to me and said, look, you should really listen to Nico if you want to get into German leader mm. and into a, into a popular German leader. And so for four years, I've been listening to a range of Nico's music and let it just kind of sit over me. And I think I was looking... Looking at the albums that really spoke to mind in terms of the the ones that were prolific for her, so mm. looking at Velvet Underground, you know that's important because that's where she really started uh, her singing um, with the group, and then we've taken the the turning point when she mm. became quite dark and looked at the songs that kind of escalated to that moment. And then there's a resolution at the end, so taking the songs that she did in the later albums, but also in Velvet Underground, so say these days, mm. um, and, and that's written by Jackson Brown, who she was involved with, and he was like, I don't know, 12 years her, her junior. Mm. Um, and we're kind of finishing on that, not because it's, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it might go, oh, well, hang on a second, she performed that at the Velvet Underground. Mm. It's more because the message in it is, is, is something that uh, sits with the audience when they leave, to know that she's singing about her failures mm. and to be like, you know, please don't remind me. I haven't yeah. forgotten them, um, but I'm moving forward. I'm going on. Um, so it's, it, it has the, the kind of the program is about the mood in the songs uh, as well as the lyrics. I love how you speak about her like she's such a strong, independent character and I really think it's important that you're really bringing to light the, her victories as a composer rather than what people have, um, I guess, thought of her, like her, her downfalls and that kind of thing. Is that an important message for you to get across, is, you know, changing people's perception of her? Mm. Ah, absolutely. I mean, this is something that I say to so many people when they make judgment calls. It's like everyone has a story, and often you get fed a certain story. I mean, mm. we're looking at Nico, who, who completely renounced her wealth mm. of, of beauty because... She was a woman who wasn't being recognised for the things that she wanted to be recognised for. Mm. And whether whether that was something that was back in the day, like, you know, what we were talking about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it's still something that's so prevalent today. Mm. Completely. I mean, 
Yeah, and everyone everyone is wanting to be seen and wanting to be noticed, and it's all about this beauty, and it's not about, I guess, the real qualities. It's not about the real talent. And she didn't, she didn't chase fame. She didn't chase money. She just wanted to be writing the music that she wanted to do. And I, I feel strongly for that because I, um, I guess I, I connect with the artists that have struggled at some point with commercialism when they're told that their voice is not good enough or whether they're too fat or, you know, whether they don't have the talent or you've got to work harder or we just want, we just want a puppet. Um, and, you know, I've struggled with that myself. And I guess this is a, you know, this is a, a kind of rebellious um, uh, throw it back in your face moment that says, you know what, I don't care. I'm just going to keep on doing what I love doing. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and it's just as, as simple as that. And I think the Melbourne Fringe Festival is such a great place to do that because we get to hear so many different voices. I know that you're no stranger to lots of different festivals. How do you think that the Melbourne Fringe Festival compares to the others that you performed in? Well, I'd probably be a little bit biased because I'm a Melbourne girl at heart. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, hands down, I'd always say the Melbourne Fringe Festival is number one. Um, I, I, I think that it's um, it's... It's a remarkable festival. I, I was um, festival director at Mudfest when I was at the University of Melbourne as arts officer, and we created a really great partnership with Melbourne Fringe. And I feel that the way that the team works, the way that Melbourne Fringe understands its artists and supports its artists, is unlike other festivals that I've been involved in and with. Mm. And it's great to come home to Melbourne Fringe. I mean, even today, just talking to the techs, mm. they've got time to hear you. They've got time to work with you. Mm. And that's what makes the whole process and the involvement and the experience just really exciting, really easy, and you know you're taken care of at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, that's very, very true, and I love that about Melbourne Fringe. That does mean that we've run out of time. If you want to find tickets, you can find tickets at melbournefringe.com.au. Danielle's show is in conjunction with the Forest Collective, and it is called Nico Songs They Never Play on the Radio. It's happening. It op actually opens on Friday. Yep. Um, from the 14th to the 16th at the Lithu Lithuanian Club. So if you are in town, get down and do check it out. It sounds like a very powerful piece. So, Danielle, thank you so much for chatting to us about it. No problem. Had a lot of fun. Likewise. Good luck with the show. We look forward to seeing it. Thank you.